I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Alternative Facts Podcast. Billboard's podcast for conversations with artists throughout the alternative music world, and I'm your host, Chris Payne. This week, we have the Wonder Years on the show. You know them, you love them. We had Dan and Matt by for the podcast a couple weeks ago. You're about to hear that conversation. But first, this is uh, me and fellow Billboard editor who, like the Wonder Years, is a big Philly sports fan. It's Andrew Underberger. Yeah, well, what's up, Chris? I'm excited to get on here and talk about uh, Philly sports and also the Wonder Years. Yeah, this was uh, this was during the Sixers actual playoff run when I had this conversation uh, with Dan. Happier times, man. Simpler yeah. times. Yeah, long time ago. Now it feels like. Well, well, we're bringing it back <laughs> for Wonder Years. They're they're st- they're still on tour. They're still on tour throughout the summer, working their new album, Sister Cities, which came out on Hopeless Records. And uh, these guys are, man. Dan is Dan is ahead. This this conversation okay. begins. We were talking about the early years of the band, like 2010, 2011. He's like an encyclopedia with how he can remember their tours, the dates, mm. the other bands that were on the tour, where exactly they went. It was really incredible. Can he can he do his band's own like Billboard 200 album placements? We didn't do that. He there's a good chance he could have because they actually do like fairly well. I was looking at it. I I, I knew that I'd, I'd kind of seen them in the upper stretches before, but. Three straight uh, top twenty albums on the Billboard 200. That's uh, definitely not something that a lot of a lot of emo bands, a lot of pop punk bands, uh, a lot of Philadelphia bands uh, can, can really claim that. That's a it's a pretty hell of accomplishment. They have a really fervent fan base, and it's not just with album sales. Merch is a massive thing mm-hmm. for this band, and as we talk about in the interview, they put a lot of thought and effort of their own into it, and fans spend money on them. Yeah, they, you know? they, they're one of those bands like moving five figures a night on on tour, or like. Uh, I don't know what they're. I don't know. I don't know the details of that, but I, I, could, to, I could totally see that. I could totally see yeah. that. That would that would make sense. I, I would I would uh, bet in, in that neighborhood as well. That, that's pretty impressive. Did they ever do anything kind of punning off the TV show, or is that? Uh, I, think there might be, I think there might be some copyright. Yeah, issues they probably there. want to share that licensing money with uh, I don't know whoever it is behind that show, but uh, or just whenever Danica McKellar, <laughs> whenever they put their band name into Google, having to deal with that, I don't think yeah. they really want to dig that up. Sure, sure. When they print T-shirts, they don't need it. They they, they they got their own branding. I'm sure they they don't they don't need to to glom off of Winnie and Kevin in, in, in any event. <laughs> they actually did a pop shop for this album, but not only did they do not, the not pop like a shop. Billboard pop shop podcast. 
No, an actual pop-up shop. Oh, a pop-up shop, okay. And not only did they do a pop-up shop, but they also worked in the pop-up shop as wow. it was going on. They're this dedicated. Is, yeah, moving their own stuff. That, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. So do, do they have like a definitive album, Wonder Years? Is there like a, like a consensus like fan favorite Wonder Years album or song or just kind of like moment in time? Or is it just like a fan base that's always kind of been there and you know, kind of grows with them? I think there isn't one album, I think, that towers over the rest. Mm-hmm. I think if you talk to a diehard fan, they most likely got into the Wonder Years within their first two or three albums. So like their Suburbia album, Mm -hmm. you'd probably hear that response for a lot of people. But this was also, this new one, Sister Cities, reached a whole lot of new people too like it was their first album that got a pitchfork review and it was a oh, po- wow. it was a yeah. positive review oh it's, it's it's a really like expansive sounding album like i listened to like i think the, the album two before this too when they came out this definitely sounds like, like it's like the fullest sounding wonder years album and, like, and yeah it definitely seems like they're kind of trying to move into a new arena and i don't know i, I dig it hopefully you and your listeners do too it's good yeah it's good good stuff so uh to set the stage for where this conversation begins, we had just been having this deep talk about the Wonder Years shows from 2010 and 2011, all the crazy details they remember. So at the end of this podcast, I quiz them wow. about about those details. I, I pull up literal touring itineraries and set lists from <laughs> setlist.fm, and you will, you'll you'll hear at the end of this show how well Dan does with those. Right, but the real question is, can they name the entire starting five of the 2001 Iverson Sixers that made the finals? That's the litmus test. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what I'm interested in. <laughs> I guess for their for their comeback appearance on for the uh, next for the next podcast. Facts, yeah. For now, here it is, Dan and Matt from the Wonder Years. The, the new album out with Sister Cities, it seems like things were a little bit more, you were able to take your time, able to like go to a different city across the country to record, plan things out, different in some ways than these early days. So how did that sure. feel? Great. Well, we always went to a different city to record. The only record we recorded in Philadelphia was The Upsides. Um, and I think we had it in our head, it was like, we need to be isolated to make a record. And I don't know if I necessarily believe that that's true, but we certainly did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Except for less distractions. Yeah, nice. you would just go out and just be like, I'm not going to rush through this take to get home because there's nowhere to go. I might as well work on the thing until you get it right. Um, but it was definitely nice to have some time to write it. And that was just, I think Ian and I talked about this for Spin. I don't think it ever made it into the piece, but like, I think people forget that there's like a serious financial aspect to this because like we're like adult humans mm. and we have to be able to pay our bills and the only way we make any money is by going on tour. I think this was what made, I'll see where you're going going with this, but I just read that piece. Yeah, shout, I mean, shout out to Ian Ian Cohen's Ian Cohen. Wonder Years profile. Go read it. Yeah, so I mean he did a great job with it, but yeah, there's like there is no way. I mean, you can listen to us on Spotify. I think the record's been listened to on Spotify five million times now. I don't think I'm going to see anything from that, right? Like, and that's like just the way it is. It's like kind of like an accepted truth for us is making music. Unfortunately, is not 
how you get paid from making music. The only way to to live and to support your family is to go out and play those songs for people that want to hear them. Uh, and hopefully they're gracious enough to buy a ticket and maybe even a t-shirt and that's how we feed ourselves, right? Mm. And so every record it was, we gotta fucking finish this record. I'm broke, I gotta get back on tour. I'm rent's due, you know, like we're fucked unless we get back on tour right now. And so for this record, we just were like, okay, we know we're gonna make a record, be responsible adults and plan your finances for not going on tour for like most a of a year. <laughs> yeah. And we saved, everyone saved their money and like squirreled it away and got into a position where we could say, let's write a record where we don't have a tour hanging over our heads. Um, and even with that, we ended up having a tour hanging over our heads and not finishing and going and doing that burst into Kate. Well, we would finish. We had a couple um, planning scheduling issues. But um, but yeah, I mean, had we had those two weeks initially in the yeah. beginning of recording, we would have finished in time. Yeah, so there were a few scheduling issues. But yeah, it was still the same thing where we had to like, we had to rush back on tour because it was like, I got to pay my mortgage or they're going to take my house. Mm. Um, and it was honestly like we planned for it really hard and it was still really difficult because we haven't had a way to to like actually make any income since like real income, like the 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 kind that you can pay your bills with, not like the kind we can go out and eat dinner, but like the since like fall of 2016. That was the last time we did like a real big long cuz you can do short tours and they're great, but like the cost of doing them, you know, you have to spread that out over 30 dates. You have to like pad that like you got to pay your crew guys and you have to pay for the the transportation and you have to pay for the lights and the sound and everything. If you don't spread that out across like a good 30 days of tour, it eats up the whole mm. budget. This is Billboard's podcast where I talk about the financial perils of playing music <laughs> for 45 minutes. Hey, I'm I mean, sorry. I mean, it's 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 worthwhile information to I get out like there. I feel like it's probably interesting for people that are trying to start a band or want to start a band to know, like, listen, like, you got to go on tour. And you got to go on tour for a long period of time uh, to kind of even out the expenses. And you know, we used to scrimp and save on everything. It's like, let's, let's keep touring in the van as long as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. But there's six of us, and so it's already cramped, and then you need, like, we can't sell our own merch anymore. We'd never get done with it. Um, and we need someone to TM, and we need someone to tech, and so you start bringing these crew members, and there's not enough room for them. So they need to upgrade the vehicle size. And then you're like, well, we've been playing these shows for a long time, but couldn't we make it look cooler? Like, shouldn't it be more exciting? Shouldn't we be giving the fans more? Well, then we need a light rig. Okay, so then we need a light guy, like an LD. And then more space for all your gear that you're bringing mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, That's, and then you start going like, hey, these sound guys that work at these venues are really good, but our guy. wouldn't it be better if we had our guy who knew our set in and out? And it's like, okay, well, then we got to bring on our guy. And that's and so like, you'd think like if you, you know, as the band gets bigger, you move into bigger rooms, you maybe raise the ticket price a dollar that it becomes a little easier, but like the expenses go right up with the, you know, the bigger rooms and the more ticket sales. And then things like we've been really trying to provide better, nicer merch, right? Like we want to source better blanks, nicer blanks, but that cuts into it too. 
you know, we try to we we moved all of our t-shirts to this company Bellin Canvas recently um, because we like the way they do things. It's like some of their stuff is fully American made, cut, sewed, dyed, patterned, everything. Some of it is like 90% American made, um, which is still a lot better than a lot of companies. And it's all like wrap gold certified. The whole plant runs on solar. The whole thing's paperless. Like these are the kinds, and they make a great product, but it's a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. And just, you got to kind of fight that battle. Like we want to be giving you the best of everything, the best show, the best pieces of merch, the best record, but it's uh, it's hard to do on a budget. So going forward with this tour, I know you guys have dates announced, I think through the end of July? Through mid-June. Through mid-June. Looking ahead, like, do you feel like you guys are ready for the sort of load that you guys took on with like the upsides for the, those tours that you were just telling me about? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'll be all right. First days, first couple days do will be I, a little bit. Do but, I you know. feel like it? No. Like, do I feel like I'm physically capable of it? I'm sick right now. I feel like garbage. But will we do it? Absolutely. Yeah. We'll push through. You just got to do it differently than we used to. Mm-hmm. Like, if I don't go to bed immediately upon the finish of a set, I, I won't sing well the next day. And I know that. And it's more important for me to sing well the next day than to go have fun after the show. Mm-hmm. And so I go right to bed. You know, I, some days I know, like, hey, it could be fun to go hang out. We're all going to go get lunch and shoot the shit for a while and laugh. But my voice doesn't feel good. So I'm going to stay in the dressing room and drink tea and read a book. And that's like the right thing to do to put on a great show that night. And that's what I'm there for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just like you have to treat it differently. And it's the same way, like I said, we used to tour in a van. Well, it used to be, well, the show's over. There's six hours to the next city. Who's driving? Matt, are you driving? Or is Josh driving or am I driving? You're driving. Because it's one of us, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to sleep. So you just played a set. You didn't take a shower. You're sweaty and you're gross. And you're going to get into a van with seven other people who are sweaty and gross with the windows up and you're going to drive all night. And then you're going to try to play another show the next day. And when you were 24, that was totally possible. And I'm 32. My body just doesn't take it the same way it used to take it. Do you think about, like, how much longer can we be, like, this active of a band? Are we going to be taking longer breaks? Yeah, I think that we're trying to plan that way. We're trying to be smart about it, right? Like, even as far as to say, like, I got into a conversation with our European agent who wanted us to play one more show in the Mm -hmm. UK. And he was like, it's one more show, man. I'm like, yes, but it's a Friday, which means I wouldn't fly back until Saturday morning, which means Saturday is shot, which means I really only get Sunday with my wife because Monday through Friday the next week, she's going to work every day. So I get to see her for a couple hours at night and like an hour in the morning. That doesn't count as seeing the people you love. Mm -hmm. And so we had to stand up and say, I can't play that last show. We got to cut that one. That's the smart move for our mental and physical health is to cut that one. Because, you know, we would never cut that show 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, like you were saying earlier, we played every show and did every tour we possibly could. Now it's just about doing the the tours that make sense for us to do instead of just doing every single one. Yeah, and people said, please come to my city. Uh, We want to, and we're going to get there. But if I, people are like, you have an off day between this city and this city. Can you play mine? I'm like, not if you want me to sound good. Like, uh, we need sometimes, (laughs) we don't take a whole lot of off days. This tour is 36 days. It's 31 shows. And we're playing for an hour and a half, generally. Easy. Plus, Mm -hmm. 
you know. We do a VIP every day, and it's not like a shake your hand and take a photo VIP because I think shake a hand, shake my hand, take a photo. That's free. That should be free. <laughs> but like we said, we got to feed our family somehow. So we were like, what can we offer that is worth, you know, a, some some extra money? And so some of the stuff is you get cool limited edition merch that no one else is going to get. I think there's a really cool poster and there's this really cool like old school style like 60s hotel key tag like diamond shaped like heavy plastic that I think is dope but then the other thing we do is we do another set for you full band on the stage all requests we take your requests you email them to us we take out every song we were going to play later that night because we don't want to play it twice for you you should get exclusive things put the rest of them in a hat and we let fans pick them out of the hat and call them out until we're out of time Mm mm-hmm and that can, you know, that's another sometimes up to like if we have a, a day where we get an extra time, that could be seven extra songs we're playing. It's a Not lot. even that. It's just like a lot of prep work before tour. You have to know the whole catalog. Yeah, I mean, so you have to have at least an you know, ancillary knowledge of yeah. another 60 songs, 70 songs. And that's a lot of rehearsal, too. But it's fun. It keeps us on our toes. Yeah. So. And sometimes people pull it out and we're like, oh, no. That we played it before <laughs> we left for tour, but it, this is week four of this tour. We'll try. <laughs> <laughs> we usually get through it. You know. Yeah. There's, I think I can only think of one time ever that we stopped. Yeah, Baltimore. Was it Baltimore? It was Baltimore. And then we were like, I'll tell you what, pick another one. <laughs> yeah. You got three quarters of that one and we'll do a whole other one for you. Yeah. And talking about like your your ethos and this, this your, I, your, the commitment you have to your fans and planning and special things like it's it's very it's more than most bands and like I can tell you guys are so invested in this and you've been for a while like who are the artists or the bands who you think this came from in you Ooh, I don't know if I can pinpoint I mean there are certain things where I'll see someone do something and be like that's so cool like mm-hmm. uh, my friend gave me this get up kids seven inch like a million years ago and it's like I don't I can't even find pressing info on it but like there's like a letter in there from someone in the get up kids it's like this is like paper that I got when I was on vacation in India and I took all this paper home and like each one is wrapped in this paper that they brought home from India with another band around it and like they hand stamped the get up kids on each one and there's like a photo that they clearly went to a lab and printed out these photos and like spray adhesed them into the artwork. Like that's such a cool level of care and commitment that like if we could find ways to do that kind of stuff. So like we just did these pop-up shops, right? And we did it Philly and Chicago. And we wanted to offer something that was super unique. So uh, Josh, our bass player and myself, went around and we spent a couple of weeks going to thrift stores, secondhand stores, surplus stores, and buying up one-of-a-kind jackets and then taking them to our merch company, getting them cleaned, and then each one had our monogram logo embroidered on the top left shoulder sleeve and Sister Cities embroidered on the back. And so each jacket was one-of-a-kind. Mm-hmm. That's a cool thing that I don't think I've seen anybody else do exactly like that. And then the rest of the merch there was like, we tried to make it super interesting and limited. We did coffee with Reanimator Coffee. We did posters. We did a couple of t-shirts and a long sleeve and a beanie. We had a gallery wall set up. We had a sitting area, because Sister Cities, you can buy it with a book. Or by the time this runs, maybe you can't, because the pressing is 
almost gone. I think Urban Outfitters has some online, and we have 30 for this whole tour. That's yeah. how many are left. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had like a sitting area. If you wanted to sit and flip through the book and read the poetry or the journals, look at the photos, look at the paintings, like you had that opportunity. We were in the store walking around and helping you out. Do you need a size? You know? Yeah, we even tried to like keep it themed to the record. So we had... Um you know, the bench from the cover of the record, not that specific one, but we made one to look similar to it and you could take a picture on that bench so you were like mm-hmm. on in the, the record album bar. Yeah, so, yeah, we printed. It was really so cool. I took, we did contests, um, we did the raffle. Yeah, mm-hmm. I took the uh, the photo from the album cover that Mitch Wojcik shot and I used my rudimentary Photoshop skills and cloned the bench out of it. <laughs> And then we bought a real bench and spray painted it to look like it. And if you shot it in black and white on your phone with the backdrop and the bench, it's like you're sitting in the album. Mm-hmm. We had our friend uh, D-Mug come out and he did album-related flash tattoos for you. So he probably, I mean, we probably got through what, like 25 of them? Yeah, he got a decent amount out for just doing for, Yeah, for four days. days. But yeah, I mean, you come in in the morning and sign up on his sheet and you could sit there in the shop and get a Wonder Years tattoo right there. And then we did performances at night. So mm-hmm. we did... Um, you know, we had some drinks and uh, a lot of LaCroix hanging out around for everybody. And nice. then we uh, we did, it was, we played like a nine song acoustic set. I did some poetry and we took some questions from the crowd and just kind of had some fun hanging out with everybody. We wanted to cultivate an experience. Because, um, yeah. you know, like Drake will do a pop-up shop, right? But I don't know if a whole lot of bands our size do it. And I know why. It was an intensely... Labori or like labor heavy thing to do. It's really, really difficult to pull off. It was just us, our road crew, and our friend Kyle trying to pull it together. And we were doing shows in between yeah, it. Too, and over the so course was, of know, these like back breaking days, you know, we broke even on it. Great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, it's really hard to pull something like that off with that kind of like attention to detail and, um, but you know, we wanted we we love the record. We wanted people to hear it. We wanted you to have an experience that was unique that surrounded the record. Mm-hmm. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Man, from when you guys were starting out and I, when you went through that whole itinerary of like the tw- 2009 to 2011 tour, I think there might have been one or two UK series of dates in there but oh, a lot more than two I think okay. I mean, been over like okay. I think we've been there over 20 <laughs> okay. times now okay but there's a lot more than UK recently and on this album yeah. man from where you guys came from just like in the burbs in a like a like a middle class or I don't know exactly what you would call it but like from just an ordinary burby place yeah did you ever think you'd go to all these places no 
No. no. <laughs> I mean, I remember the first time we went to England was 2007. It was actually our first tour that was longer than a week, um, two weeks in England. No work permits, no visas, fully DIY, in a, a sketchy van that this guy named Simon rented that he didn't even have the right insurance or license to drive. That was supposed to fit like seven people and actually fit 10 in all of our gear and all of our luggage. On our laps. <clears throat> And in order to do it, because we knew we didn't have visas, we were like, let's fly over in two waves. And we'll go over early for a couple of days and we'll live in a hostel. And that's what I did. And I remember when we, we flew in, we were in the airport, and airport's an airport. We got right on a train, a train's a train. We came up and I was standing in London with this ridiculous suitcase that not like a rolly bag that you can think of. It was my great grandfather's. The only suitcase I had access to. That's like a suitcase in the way that you think, like a big briefcase kind of. But it had wheels on the bottom and like a leash that I would pull it by. Mm. And I was standing on the streets in London and went, "Holy shit! It does exist. There really is a thing on the other side of an ocean." Because without going there, you could have been lying to me forever, right? Um, it was kind of wild. I mean, I had never been out of a time zone before that. It only ever been an Eastern Standard Time before that day. Just a wild moment. Wow. Did you feel like you were sort of breaking a new frontier that a lot of people you grew up with or you were around just you 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 got out? Oh yeah, it was insane. Like I mean, my dad had to join the military to travel. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, being able to make music and do the things that yeah. we love doing and uh-huh. having, you know, the opportunity to go to all these different places is incredible. I don't think awesome. I had known anyone that left the country except for my grandparents taking a cruise for their honeymoon before, way before I was born. I mean, mm-hmm. my parents had me when they were 20. They certainly never left the country. They had gone to California together once, I think. Um, you know, it was just not a thing that, that we did. I, I think, I don't think my mom has a passport still. So it's, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to have gone to all these places. Like the, I feel very lucky to stand there a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. How does getting to see other parts of the world change your view of yourself? Like from just sort of always being like, oh, I live in in Pennsylvania and I'm an American, and being around lots of other people who are just like sort of locked in there. How does it change your view of yourself going out and like seeing so much of the world? I mean, it opens you up to different cultures, and you really get to. Um see how other people live and it makes you put your life into perspective a little bit more and say all right i'm I'm just a small part of this big thing and um but also you know and as far as like we talk big and small and i certainly thought the world was huge you know Mm -hmm. i mean unimaginably huge infinitely big right because i had never been really past the jersey shore um you know, one time we went to North Carolina for a family reunion, but that was it, you know? Before we started touring, that was it. So when you think of the world as that big, you kind of think, well, I have no impact on anyone. No one has any impact on me. These people that live across the, the world might as well be on other planets. I've only read about their cultures in textbooks, and they seem crazy. We're so different, and we're so far apart. And then you realize... Well, shit, if I wanted to, within one calendar day of right now, I could be anywhere, anywhere on Earth. I mean, maybe not Antarctica, maybe weather is uh, a thing, but like, as far as you could pile, we could be in Melbourne 
24 hours from right now if we left. And so it's not so big. And the things that you do do have impacts on other people. And the things that other people do do have impacts on you. And you can think, hey, if I litter right here, who cares? It's right here. But it's going to wash up on somebody else's shores eventually. And so it's kind of like eye-opening in the way that's like, Everyone is in this together. No one's really that different from you. Everyone is as valuable as you are. So maybe in your brain you have, I mean, you do. You have this whole universe that exists inside your head that says, like, you're important and you're valuable and you should be loved and taken care of. Every other person on earth has that same universe happening in their head because they are valuable and they are important and they deserve the same amount of love and caring that you deserve. And so it makes it a little easier to be more empathetic to other people and their lives. And certain acts of kindness seem like they turn into entire songs. Certain acts of kindness from people who you never would have thought you would have met in other countries became songs on Sister Cities. Yeah, I mean, we, we tried to. I tried to focus on small moments that had big impacts because that's kind of the idea is you can do something small and it can matter a lot to someone. And so uh, sometimes you don't even have to interact with them. Sometimes it's just driving past someone and seeing something and, and having that resonate with you in a way that goes like, hey, I'm in Costa Rica, but I know that posture. Like I know what it's like to sit on a curb and weep into my hands and have my wife scratching my back and telling me it's okay. I know mm. that. I've seen that silhouette before. These people are the same as I am, you know. Their love is the same as my love. It mm-hmm. has the same value. Yeah, and and Kyoto was was born out of that, right? Kyoto came from Raining Kyoto is um a really, I mean, a pretty straightforward narrative in the song. So, uh I'd be surprised if it had gotten twisted for anybody, but it's it's just, we got on a plane and my grandfather died and that was what was happening. And if we were somewhere in America and maybe Live Nation is doing the show and it's like, well, they're Live Nation. They'll be okay. We can cancel it. I can go. But Japan, it's a guy. His name is Masa. He's got a wife and two kids. I like him a lot. And he takes a huge, huge risk to bring bands over to Japan. Mm. And if we said, if I said, I can't get on this fucking plane, I got to go, then I, that guy's whole life is, is fucked up. And I know that my grandfather would have been so mad at me. Uh, and so we went to Japan and we went to, to do the tour. And um, we went to this shrine in Kyoto, this the Inari shrine. And uh, I saw people lighting these candles in these uh, like very small like boxes with like filled with like spikes. You put candle on a spike and you light it and I was like I don't know why anyone's doing that but it feels like a thing I should do and I had this uh, you know in my head I was like this is a ceremony of some sort I don't know if it is but I did it and I did it and I cried in front of it in uh in the rain and and then this this guy this older guy was just like kind of showed me as like he rang the bell after he mm-hmm. lit his candle and I was like oh you rang the bell next just him being like I, I don't know you I don't speak the same language. You can't ask me what's wrong. But, yeah, he saw that I, I needed something. And he was just like, just, you ring the bell. Mm-hmm. So, small moment of kindness. Word. And I feel like I might know where you guys will go with this, but with the songs on the album, is there one that you feel like just is different than the others or just takes the band to a new place? Maybe just like the one that you feel most accomplished in? 
Matt, you want to answer first? Uh, I feel like from a, not a lyrical standpoint, but a musical standpoint, um, Pyramids of Salt is like one of the more standout tracks. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of things on that song that we've never done in the past. And uh, I feel like we got to experiment a bit more. And um, I don't know. I feel like you've always tried to write relatable lyrics. So yeah. that's, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But, but for, I mean, for me, The Ocean Grew Hands to yeah. Hold Me is the best song that we've ever written. And I, I mean, that I can't say that as a definitive fact. I'm not stating that. That's for me. That's the best song we've ever written. That's the song. Like, that's what, like, I think that I've been chasing as a songwriter my whole life. Like, that's the song that, like if we never make another song, I'm glad that's the last one we gave you. That's mm-hmm. not to say we're not going to make other songs. I'm not saying that. You heard Don't it. We're breaking that. up. <laughs> <laughs> that's a song where like we are, uh, I think we're talking about closing the set with it, but in my head I've been arguing with the idea of closing the encore with it because like, if like the bus gets struck by lightning or I get struck by lightning, if I die before the next show, I want that to be the last song I've ever played. Mm-hmm. I'd love the Ocean Grew Hands to hold me. Yeah, Matt, what was it like writing the guitar for that song? Well, that was one of those songs where we each kind of gave, you know, rules to each other. So I wasn't allowed to use a pick. So it's the first time ever using Ebo on a song. So I uh, had to think outside the box and figure out how to use that and really um, try to expand my my palette tonally. To do mm-hmm. that. We were challenging each other. You know, it was a lot of saying like, hey, I know you would normally do this here, don't do it. See what happens. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of goes back into that thing I was talking about earlier where we said, let's squirrel away our money, take some time and write a record where we can try things. Because a ton of times we do something and go, hell yeah, that worked. That's the song. But maybe just because it worked doesn't make it the best thing for the song. And so if we had just said, hell yeah, that works, this song would be in a different time signature. When I originally brought in like the bones of it, like the melody, some of the lyrics, the chords, it was in 4-4. Four, four. And Casey was like, I think that would work better in like a 3-4 or a 6-8 feel, man. And I went home and changed it up to that. And that's what gave me the bridge. Like The bridge hadn't existed before then. And it kind of naturally flowed. And then it was like, hey, Josh, what if you don't play bass at all? Hey, Matt, what if you don't play with a pick? Hey, Kennedy, what if you keep the hi-hat closed until the bridge, like really hold back? Like, Nick, what if you don't play at all until we get to like the section after the verse and just kind of keep challenging each other to do a different thing to see if it made it better? Yeah, because you get stuck in your ways songwriting sometimes and it's nice to have somebody force you to think a little bit more outside the box, you know? Yo, I have an idea real quick for uh, that trivia question about the uh, the early years. Okay. I have an idea. So are you familiar with this website, setlist.fm? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to see if they have a set list of yours from back in those days, as I'm sure they do, and I'm going to ask Ooh. you a question about it, and let's see how you guys do. Okay. Set list might be harder. You should bring up, like, a venue. That Maybe I'll okay. have this. Uh, no, 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 you know what? We might have this. We'll Go for it, and we'll see what I have. Yeah, yeah setlist.fm is super useful, and I found it to be, like, I've, it's never, I've never found, like, a error, like, any anything glaring from it. It tends to be like the, like the fans who go and update are the most impassioned, most thorough super fans. Uh, you so like you're our like lyric genius. Sometimes they get things where I'm like, I can't believe you found that information. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mm-hmm. know we were still we we're tracking this, but um, you know. But other times, 
I, sometimes it's like, okay, that's a stretch. Or like you invented that thing between these, you know, you connected two points that I didn't connect. But like, there's one about this lyric in Flowers Where Your Face Should Be, where I say, I'm going to marry you under driftwood from Crescent City. And they've, my wife and I were featured in that wedding magazine, The Knot, like our wedding is in there. Oh, okay. And I talk about the arbor that I built out of that driftwood from Crescent City in that magazine. They reference that article. It's like, how did you get that? <laughs> All right, I'm into some 2007 here. You guys ready? Oh, that's too early. You got to give me like- Too a, early? 2007, we weren't like a band. You got to give me when we were a band. Give me 2010, 2011. That's when we were like an actual effective touring band. Okay. Did you say 2009 works or no? Um, Maybe. Give it a shot. We'll see what we have. All righty. Let's see. Okay, this is January 1st, New Year's Day, 2009. Does it say where we were? Uh, okay, so I'll give you the uh, the it's Cleveland, Ohio. Cleveland, Ohio, January first, two thousand nine. So two thousand nine, January first, New Year's Day. What we actually did that day, I have this. The night before, our van broke down outside of uh, Chicago, and we were driving to Cleveland. So we didn't make it in time for the show. So what you're actually reading right now is a set list of us playing acoustic outside the van after the show ended because we pulled up outside it's freezing cold we played an acoustic set <laughs> it says <laughs> note due to their van unexpectedly breaking down the band showed up to this gig late and weren't able to play their intended set however the band decided to play a short acoustic set outside the venue for the fans that stayed long enough for them to get there this incident inspired the song new years with, with carl, carl weathers, weathers from the upsides Hell yeah, that was like verbatim, man. <laughs> you know I got it. Do you remember what the four-song set list was? All right. We probably played You're Not Sound, You're Get Over It. It's one. It's I would imagine song. that we also played Solo and Chewy, Holding It Down. No. No. I would imagine that we probably played a song called Racing Trains, yes. as it was our only acoustic song to that point. So we only had a couple releases out at this point, and you got to think that we're playing... Yeah, you got to think we're playing... I don't think that we would have done "Won't Be Pathetic Forever" because I don't know how that would work acoustic. No, we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't. He said we wouldn't have done that. That's what he said into the mic. We would not have done "Won't Be Pathetic Forever." Um, so they have to be songs off of our 2007 full-length kind of record. Um, so what else Ooh, could we do acoustic um, off that record? What's the last song? When on keeping that? it real goes wrong. Yes, we played mm, that. Yeah. So um, we've got three of the four songs already. So there's a fourth song we would have played. Uh, what if we swam that. into nothing? No. no, no. Okay. Let's think. We wouldn't have done. Think seasonal. Did we do Christmas at 22? Yeah. Wow, yeah. Christmas what? at 22. Right. There we go. There it is. Alrighty, we got here. We go February 20th. Oh, this is England. Does that does that make it more difficult? Does England work? That's fine. February 20th of what year? Of 2011. So we're on tour with Good Charlotte, Four Years Strong and a band called Framing Hanley. I think that we opened the set with Mike Kennedy is a Bad Friend. No, that was that opened the encore. That opened the encore. We wouldn't have encored February 20th of 2011. This says uh, at the Peel, Kingston-upon-Thames. The Peel. So that would have been it, our one headline show 
on that run on an off day. <laughs> this wow. changes everything. Okay, so then what do we open the set with? February 20th, 2011, which means Suburbia is not out, which means Upsides is out, which means I think we probably opened the set with Washington Square Park. I think you're right, because we opened up with feedback into that. Yeah. Sorry, that's unimportant, but... No, it's no. Logan Circle. Logan Circle, damn it. I don't remember ever opening with Logan Circle. That's wild. No, we definitely did, because we would come out, and, and Casey would play the... And then we would mm. start the actual song. You do this for long enough, you just start blacking things out. <laughs> All right, one more. This one, this one's you asked. Maybe this would be a little bit easier. This is April 16th, 2011. You guys are playing in... Uh, Wait, let me try it. April 16th, 2011 means that we are on tour with Fireworks. At Such Gold was supposed to do the tour, but their singer had gotten injured. So, And Fireworks actually only did a portion of the tour because someone in one of their families passed away. So April 16th would, I think, be somewhere in the middle. Can you give me the region we were playing? Like, you don't even tell me the... the well, maybe give me the state. Colorado. Colorado, we would have been in Colorado Springs at a venue called The Black Sheep. There it is. Uh, the tour at that point would have been The Wonder Years were obviously on it, Living With Lions and Make Do and Mend. It's Scott Jam. But somebody else would have had to have played that show. I think it would have been Mixtapes. I imagine that the only song... From Suburbia, we played was Local Man Ruins Everything, and then we would have opened the set with Washington Square Park. Yeah, there, there, there is only, yep, you got it with the one Suburbia song, and was opened with Washington Square Park. Let me there peep that is. set list real quick. I'm just curious yeah. for my own. That's pretty fucking good, right? Yeah, here's, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I talk to a lot of musicians, and your your memory of what you've done over the years is impeccable. So whatever you're doing. and I, I, Is I the can, encore Salinger? Yeah. You know the encore wow. Salinger. <laughs> and I can tell how it seeps into other things that the band does with all these projects you tell me about. So that's awesome that you guys are so on top of things. If your boy is one thing, it is obsessive. <laughs> yeah. Cool. That was a fun quiz. We did pretty well. You did pretty well. I did maybe C. I'll give myself a C on that. You thought about uh, when Keeping It Real Goes Wrong, I wouldn't have thought we did that. Okay. Yo, so right, I give myself a B then. I know you guys got places to be, but yeah, this was fun. I guess uh, trust the process. Gotta trust Phillies, the process. Phillies look all right. Phillies are in, maybe in the mix for a playoff spot this year. There's a lot going on. Villanova won. You literally have to trust the fucking process. <laughs> and that is the show. Thanks to those guys for coming by. Wonder Years, they're on tour now. If you, if you knew how to find this podcast, I'm sure you know how to go find those dates. So we'll be back with a new episode next week. It's an interview with Nothing Nowhere. To make sure you get it, subscribe to the show. You can do that on iTunes, uh, the podcast app of your phone, wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe there and drop us a star rating. It really, really helps that rating. That star rating helped us so much with getting a better placement on iTunes, getting more eyeballs on the show, stuff like that. And keep up with me on Twitter. I'm always talking about the show, dropping hints about what's coming up. C-Pain on a Plane, at C-Pain on a Plane is my handle. That's all I got. I will see you guys next week. Peace out.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.